Welcome to the Connect Extension podcast brought to you by the Extension Foundation. The Extension Foundation was formed in 2006 by Extension directors and administrators. Today, the Foundation partners with Cooperative Extension through liaison roles and a formal plan of work with the Extension Committee on Organization and Policy to increase system capacity while providing programmatic services and helping Extension programs scale and investigate new methods and models for implementing programs. The Foundation provides professional development to cooperative extension professionals and offers exclusive services to its members. This podcast is supported in part by New Technologies for Ag Extension, grant number 2020-41595-30123 from the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. I'm Melanie Pugsley, the host of today's podcast. The Extension Collaborative on Immunization Teaching and Engagement, or EXCITE, is a program designed to reach communities with limited resources to address vaccine hesitancy through two previously announced set of activities. The first is a system-wide engagement with the CDC's Vaccinate with Confidence communication campaign. The second includes selected adult immunization education pilot projects. The projects enable critical outreach to over 4 million people. The third award opportunity was released in October 2021 with the goal to address vaccine hesitancy of extension field educators, specialists, and administrators. The goal of this project is to create and implement a strategy to reduce vaccine hesitancy for COVID-19 and other adult vaccines, and to increase extension educators' willingness and confidence to become immunization educators in their communities. After a competitive RFA process, Washington State University was selected as the recipient of this award for their project titled, Getting to the Heart of the Matter. Project leaders from Washington State include Erica Austin, Paul Bowles, Zena Edwards, Courtney Payne, and Bruce Austin. Washington State Edward Murrow College of Communication is ranked nationally for research publications and submissions, and is ranked number one in the nation for advertising and media literacy research. The project PI, Erica Austin, directs the WSU Edward Murrow Center for Media and Health Promotions Research, which examines how people use media sources, platforms, and content in decision-making and evaluates the impact of health promotion campaigns. I met virtually with Erica Austin and Zena Edwards to learn more about their project's inception and how their research background informed their unique approach to this complex issue, such as how they plan to incorporate their specialties in interpretation processing theory, motivational interviewing, and neuromarketing science to get to the heart of vaccine hesitancy. Literally, I learned that the Heart of the Matter project title is a play on the project's research plan, as the team will monitor research participants' heartbeat during motivational interviews. The project's objective is to test motivational messages using neuromarketing methods, which will inform development of a toolkit and workshop that will aim to equip and empower extension professionals. This project was fascinating to learn about, and the research gleaned will be necessary to extension beyond COVID vaccines. The two shared personal stories of vaccine hesitancy they've faced themselves and in Washington state. Their first steps in getting the project started 
and what they're curious to learn about extension through this process. They also predict the challenges they anticipate and state the impacts they hope the research has on vaccine hesitancy and other issues. I hope you enjoy learning about this project as much as I did from these two very innovative researchers. Well, I'm Erica Weintraub Austin. I'm the PI for this project. I'm a professor in the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication at Washington State University. I'm also the director of the Edward R. Murrow Center for Media and Health Promotion Research. And um, my specialty is media literacy and health promotion. I'm not in extension. And so this is actually a, a really special opportunity for me. It's not the first time I've worked with extension. And um, it's not the first time I've worked with Zena Edwards, who is our extension guru on this project. And I'm really um, excited that Zena brought this opportunity to us. This was actually Zena's idea. And she came to us with information about this opportunity and the need for, uh, for, for somebody to, to do this project. And, uh, we, and, and so we came together with some ideas about what we might do. And so what, what, what we are doing is a combination of communication and, and outreach and education and especially listening uh, to people who are extension professionals about why they might be hesitant about doing outreach, about vaccination education. And Zena actually came to me with this idea. She's been working with me for a number of years. She's tenured faculty in extension. She's also a graduate student in communication and prevention science. And we've been working together for a number of years. We did a project together using media literacy to teach nutrition education, um, a very a family-centered approach. And she came to me and she said, you know, I think we could use uh, media literacy and um, a, a special kind of listening approach to help with vaccine, vaccination outreach and the hesitancy that people are experiencing around doing vaccination education. And I, I think that Zena can really explain better really what, what the, the motivations were around getting this project started. But what we were thinking about was combining this special listening and interviewing approach that she has special expertise in and her knowledge about the world of of extension and community outreach with the knowledge and background that I have in media literacy and helping people with skills for managing what has become such a toxic information environment and so much misinformation about vaccination, especially about COVID. And how do you take all of that and deal with the fact that um, people need to be able to make healthy decisions for themselves, decisions that are right for themselves and deal with what's going on in their communities and be able to make decisions about, you know, if and how to do outreach, if and how to get vaccinations uh, and uh, have, have all of these messages coming at them where it may spark so much negativity. And we all know that um, we don't make decisions just based on knowledge alone. 
and when misinformation and being told you must do this and you must do that can just spark so much negativity that um, we, we may not be able to make the best decisions. And so we felt that there may be a way for us to put together our skills from extension outreach and media literacy and the special interviewing skills that she has uh, to be able to, to put together something that might be really helpful. Okay, well, that's great. That's a great introduction, Erica. So I'm Zena Edwards, and I work for Washington State University Extension and have for about uh, 15 years. And I'm a county-based food safety and nutrition extension associate professor. Um, and as Erica mentioned, worked with her as a graduate student and have a, I'm a doctoral candidate in prevention science, also with WSU with an emphasis in health communications. And um, I was really excited to find Erica's work years ago and then also have the opportunity to work with her because of that emphasis of knowing that we don't always make decisions based on logic. And her model that she developed, uh, the message interpretation processing model that acknowledges both of those. So that was really exciting for me coming from a very, I'm trained as a dietitian, it's very science-based, and we know that extension um, really prides itself on, you know, knowledge and information transfer, and they are just exceptional at that. But sometimes I was feeling like, ah, why are we not acknowledging emotions or maybe denying them? So um, it's really exciting to see that there are models out there and that we can, we can use both and we can help people balance both, but that we do need to attend to their emotions. So that's a lot of my interest is, um, you know, how do we, you know, what's going to work to get people to change their behavior and change, especially health behavior, which can be hard and we can have our own internal and external resistance and just how do the emotions and values um, shape and often override what we consider to be that logical choice. You know, when we start seeing people or hearing ourselves going, well, that's not logical. Well, but that's human and that's, that's what it is. And sometimes we need to work with that. So that's a little bit of, of my background. Our project uh, started in December 2020. I'm trying to get all the dates right. December 2021, and we'll go through April 30th, 2023. So, um, pretty substantial amount of time. Um, uh, I know one of the things to consider is like, what are you nervous about? And now that I say that out loud, I think that timeline is making me a little bit nervous. We have a lot of work to do. Um, and uh, uh, We've already done a lot of work, but uh, you know, timelines are always always challenging. So, yeah. Did you want to add anything to that, Erica? Well, you know, the timeline looks long and feels short. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I do have to say, I think one thing that, at least for me, and I'm getting the feeling from the team too, one thing that. Um, is really helping us is that there's such a huge experiential and knowledge base around those teams that have already done the work. So I know the A1s are starting to wind down. They'll be done uh, April this year, and then the A2s will continue. And we're actually considered part of the A2, but it's just been so phenomenal to see the amount of work that people have done. And, and I shouldn't be surprised by that because I know how powerful extension can be. Um, but we've been able to glean a lot of really 
helpful information as far as barriers out in the communities, kind of experiences that people are having with their uh, coworkers or other extension professionals, and people just being really forthcoming on, on what they're seeing on the ground out in these different communities. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a specific type of political health uh, economic climate in Washington state. And that's very different from other parts of the United States. So it's been really helpful to just sit in on presentations, discussions. We had an opportunity to actually have um, some input and discussions from those project members. And so that's, I, I think that's really, we got some, some insights into where we should go with this needs assessment that we're going to be doing that I think is going to be really helpful. Kind of diverted us from maybe asking questions that weren't as relevant or could be as helpful for the group. We probably should give just a really brief overview of, of what we'll be doing and, and what we'll provide at the end of it all. So, Zena, do you want to give those, that snippet or should I start? Um, yeah, I could do that. So, I, I, what we have in mind, and of course, you know, it'll be de dependent on the needs assessment, but we're really wanting to bring some tools to extension professionals and the extension system uh, generally on helping with these, what I would call, I, I think you, the negative spark, those really challenging conversations. Um, so helping people feel a little more equipped for those conversations. Um, also, um, just some tools and resources for how can we address vaccination hesitancy itself, COVID-19 specifically, in a respectful, um, honoring way that lets people know they have their own choice, um, but also provide um, uh, responses to misinformation um, or help people find trusted sources of information. And then also, um, materials and communications um, tools that will acknowledge both those emotions-based and cognitive um, approaches for making decisions. So really, it's kind of an influence or a, a, a influence package with some tools in it. So we're anticipating uh, some actual communications tools, some tip sheets, but then also a training and workshop on how to put all of this together and maybe have those conversations that can be influential, but, but still respectful. Well, I'll add a little bit of, of the, I guess the timeline on this. What we're starting with is getting feedback um, from extension professionals. So we'll be doing a survey which will be really important to get feedback from as many professionals as we can. We'll be doing that this spring. And from that survey, we'll then be doing some focus groups, essentially. And Zena will be doing some interviewing through those focus groups to find out what are the kinds of things that essentially set people off. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, themselves and coworkers and others. I, mean, I think we're really in this environment where people are afraid to talk about things and then it makes it more challenging because we have opinions, we need to share those. And so, yeah, we're really wanting people to speak up and share their opinions. So. Yeah, so yeah. we need to know um, when, when, when we're, we're thinking about vaccination promotional messages, what really are the things that, that 
make people feel um, feel hesitant, feel negative about those kinds of messages. And and we're we're going to be looking both at what makes people, uh, what are they telling us, but also how are they feeling? What are they not even able to tell us, but what are their their bodies telling us about those messages? So we're going to be looking at people's responses at a psychophysiological level, as well as at a psychological level. So we have Paul Bowles on our team. He's um, a psychophysiological uh, researcher. He, he's able to actually take measurements from um, people's, people's um, automatic responses where he can show what people are doing uh, in terms of um, he can he can take measurements in terms of how people's brains are are cueing our responses in, in ways that we might not even realize we're responding to a message at an emotional level and and so even though we might not be able to tell someone we're responding to a message in a negative way our bodies are able to tell Paul that we're responding in a negative way so we can then learn from that what about messages are are making people start to um, enter what we call this cascade of negativity and as a result of that we can learn about these messages what's going wrong and from that we can start to learn how can we prevent that from happening and we can start to create um, more effective messages and as we develop more effective messages we can then test those and try to optimize um, what can go well and so we'll be developing messages that we think will be more effective we'll be testing those out we'll be creating toolkits um, that we'll then be providing um, for training that professionals can then use zen i think you're going to need to explain this better than i can but we'll be incorporating <laughs> um, media literacy training as part of that because part of what we think professionals need to have available as they're going out into communities are tools for helping people manage that toxic information environment and the first thing that people need to be able to do is identify what is a trusted source uh -huh. uh, how can you identify which sources uh, can you believe you know we tend to look for sources who we know who who we can believe when when there's a whole lot of uncertainty it's really hard to decide um, what kind of content you can believe so you tend to look for the sources you can believe so the first thing we need to do is find those those trusted sources so we need tools for being able to do that and then how can you make good decisions about what kind of content uh, can you believe how do you go about testing whether uh, content is complete and accurate and up-to-date and, and that sort of thing so we're going to help them um, provide tools out in the community for for being able to do that so we're going to be providing these information toolkits well and I'll back it up and just add um, um, what I'm excited about is combining all that 
that skills information that Erica has been working on with this motivational interviewing approach, because the motivational interviewing is really about how do we introduce this information and how do we talk to people in the community as a way of providing, providing, um, you know, getting, uh, because you really can't walk up to somebody and say, well, that's misinformation. And in fact, I just read an article yesterday about how doing a myth busting actually can, you know, a lot of websites will have, oh, here's, you know, myth busters about vaccinations or whatever it is, it actually can backfire and kind of ties into what Erica was saying about that psychological or that defense cascade negativity that we just, we, we don't want to engage in that behavior or we can't make a proper decision. So wrapping that motivational interviewing approach, which is about having a compassionate, respectful, um, uh, and caring conversation to bring up these topics. So there's there's specific skills and approaches for being able to bring up really difficult conversations. It's been used um, over 30 years, lots of evidence base. Um, so it's by wrapping those together, we're, we're, we're thinking people are going to be more receptive. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll also add, <laughs> I was really excited about this grant because I felt like I could be the, I am the target audience as far as being uh, a little bit, I was a little bit hesitant to get my COVID vaccination. And uh, I was very resistant to do any COVID-19 vaccination education as an extension professional. So, um, and I had been thinking about it. And it's like, oh. so when this opportunity came up, I thought, you know, I'm, a, I'm part of the target audience and I want to hear about I hear from other people like me who maybe were hesitant. I know my reasons why, and and I can bring that into the conversation of why I was hesitant, but I want to hear other people's too. But really, um, yeah, I, I needed to face my own hesitancy, both to get vaccinated and to be involved in the COVID-19 vaccination education as an extension professional. So um, when COVID came, I really was, I was avoiding doing any COVID specific extension outreach and engagement in my local community. Um, You know, a lot of the initial tracing, education, vaccination work is being done by public health or other health related community organizations. So I know that's very different maybe than some other um, extension county situations where county-based extension are really the front line for some health promotion. But I was just trying to keep my programs going. I was adapting my programs to the reality of COVID, um, thinking we'd be likely be back to pre-COVID-19 conditions. I knew it would be at least a year. I, I wasn't in denial about that, but I just didn't really consider it to be the work that I needed to do. And um, and I and a big part of my resistance was feeling unequipped for addressing misinformation, like Eric is talking about, and vaccination hesitancy in general. So Clark County, Washington was part of a pretty big measles outbreak that also included Portland, Oregon um, from January 3rd to April 29th in 2019, mostly uh, non-immunized children. So we have some pretty large um, groups and populations here that don't vaccinate. Um, 
so I was aware of that rise in vaccination resistance and not just in my community. So we know that the World Health Organization, they list vaccination hesitancy among the top 10 health threats to, to global health. And that was before COVID-19 came on the scene. So I'd always kind of known it was out there. You know, I'd known people who didn't vaccinate. Um, I've, I've always done the traditional vaccinations. But I kind of, you know, I kind of knew like, uh, the facts are not going to make people change their mind. And in fact, just in my programming, I, I knew that using facts and information just wasn't the way to help people make behavior change. And they actually um, would get more resistant and they would really stand firm in their position. Um, so that was my experience. And then just just reading in the health literature that it was backed up by science, by my gut reaction. And uh, actually several studies show that if somebody is vaccination hesitant, whether they're a professional, because we know that there are health professionals too that are resistant, um, or just community member, that using that traditional approach of just refuting misinformation can actually decrease the intent to vaccinate. So I just thought, you know, I'm just not going to say anything. And I kind of just wanted to put my head in the sand and wait for it all to pass. <laughs> I think you like, oh, okay, well, I'll just keep going. But what kept coming up for me is, um, especially about 18 months in, is, is the people I wanted to partner with for my food safety and nutrition programs, they were still caught up in COVID-19 response. Yet now it was vaccination resistance because we, we had some pretty good efforts locally. I know access is an issue for some people, but I was even seeing um, my partners would say, we have free vaccinations. We got them on site. People are still not coming or they're getting angry when we call them. Um, so, or they're dealing with this misinformation like Erica was talking about. And um, I, you know, try to work with health students or nursing students. They say, well, we got to do this COVID vaccination outreach. And I kept thinking, I don't know what that looks like. And that's kind of scary to me because I don't want people in my community to be yelling at me. <laughs> I just, um, yeah. So after a while, I, I thought, um, I think this is a psychological reactance problem. And I was introduced to that through some behavioral economics training for nutrition and, and realized that it was an actual um, big deal and has been for a long time. So it's been studied since the 1966. Um, we don't hear a lot about it sometimes in subject matter areas, um, but the psychological reactance ties into what Erica was saying as far as our, our bodily reactions and not being able to make our best decisions when that is in place. So, um, so this reactus is basically an unpleasant motivational arousal that emerges when people experience a threat to or loss of their free behaviors. And there's variability in people and how they react to that or situations. Um, and I was using motivational interviewing to help address that in our diabetes prevention program. And it's just kind of this perfect storm of knowing the work Erica was doing with, with COVID misinformation, what I was looking at for motivational interviewing and psycho, psychological reactants. And one day I just Google, I thought, 
I think this is all a psychological reactance issue. And I Googled it uh, with motivational interviewing. And what popped up was a whole website by the developers of motivational interviewing to address vaccination hesitancy. And they've been working on this for several years before COVID-19 and some really effective tools. So um, at that point, I started kind of switching my attitude like, okay, I think I have a tool to help some community members, um, maybe help myself too. Um, but then about that time, that's when this opportunity came up. So it was kind of this perfect storm of all this coming together. And then Erica had been working with Paul on, on some other things too, and bringing him in and realizing as we were all talking, like all of these things overlap and there's a tremendous potential, um, you know, I just felt like, oh, if I was if I was in anguish of how to address this, how to get involved and I don't have the tools, I suspect other people other extension educators um, might have that same experience. So certainly this was a starting point for us. And then um, of course, as we do the needs assessment, we'll, we'll do the best we can to respond to other situations. And we're certainly not gonna be able to address everything, but um, I think we have some pretty powerful tools and approaches. And I wanna go back to what Erica said, as far as that listening. I mean, we really wanna know what's going on. So this needs assessment, um, I just really encourage my colleagues in extension, this is not something you're gonna to wanna to miss out on. So, um, it's really a platform to share your experience, um, the insights you might have. I mean, really um, any opinions, um, feelings, I mean, just anything you've observed. So really of why um, you might not get vaccinated for COVID-19 or you're reluctant to facilitate vaccination education. So we're really wanting everyone to join in in that conversation. We've heard a lot from the Excite team already, which is great and we'll, we'll wanna hear more, but we really wanna hear from those people who are not doing this work, the people who are not showing up at the table. And that survey and the focus groups are gonna be the primary means for doing that. So we really wanna highlight that on the front end. So I'd like to um, go back to what Zena was saying about what was really inspiring her about this project and um, how she was, was living the situation of, of vaccine hesitancy. And, um, and while she was living all of that, I was essentially living the life of the, you know, the academic geek and doing this nationwide survey about um, about all of this from a very theoretical standpoint. And we'd done this survey, this nationwide survey, where we'd asked people what they know about COVID and we'd ask questions about media literacy and we'd ask questions about, um, you know, what do they expect to gain if they take protective behaviors and do they expect to get the vaccine when it becomes available? Because this was way back in, in July of 2020 and the vaccine wasn't available yet. and. Sure enough, what we found was that um, people, we, we asked among other things if they'd gotten the flu vaccine. We thought, well, if people have gotten the vaccine, 
a vaccine before, like the flu vaccine, wouldn't they be more likely to get the COVID vaccine when it becomes available? You would think that previous behavior predicts future behavior, and you would think that knowledge about COVID is also going to predict their likelihood to get the vaccine when it becomes available, right? Well, sort of, kind of, but not entirely. And just as, as Zeno was saying, people who had not gotten the flu vaccine before um, and, and had some knowledge, they were like even more determined that they weren't going to get the COVID vaccine when it became available. But if they trusted experts like science, scientific experts, medical experts, and also or, you know, in addition, not, not, they didn't necessarily have to have both of these things, but if they had some media literacy, um, they were more likely then to uh, be willing to get the vaccine. And we found that the big, the, a really big predictor of being willing to get the vaccine was media literacy. Uh, and so we thought, okay, um, if people can manage the information environment, this is going to be really important going into the future. And so when Zena was talking about um, how uh, people's reactance was such an issue, and we know that people have been losing trust in the government and even in medical professionals, and we know people have been losing trust in science, we thought, okay, we have to deal with, with this lack of trust, with this reactance. Maybe if we put that together with helping people manage the information environment uh, better, that this is going to help them um, with building uh, their, their, their trust in the vaccine ultimately, or at least being able to make decisions based more on um, information and less on reactants. So we thought putting that together with Zena's skills in motivational interviewing, and especially also putting that together with Paul's skills on understanding um, how people's emotional responses get involved with all of this decision-making might be able to help us put together a package that would really help extension professionals in this really difficult environment. For me, being uh, being an, an outsider in a way to extension, even though I've done projects with extension before, um, one of the things that's surprised me by being able to visit last month's spotlight session right off the bat as we got started on this project was just how incredibly huge and expansive and also nuanced the projects are uh, around COVID-19 already that are being done around the extension universe. It's just incredible. And we learned so much from the presentations last month. And it was just, if you'll forgive me, illuminating. It was really, it was really wonderful last month sitting in on all of those presentations. Uh, and it was really helpful. So I appreciated it very, very much. Uh, the work that's being done is great and it's going to help us, I think, to um, help everyone else. You, you know, I think what's surprising me, um, 
just in the initial conversations is, um, I mean, I'll echo what Erica says too. I'm, uh, but just the political influence, you know, and and I know there's been some writings in like Journal of Extension and some other extension publications about how we like to um, say we're not political. We try to, you know, we try to stay like we're educational, and we've been drawn into this 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 political environment. And I imagine it's very similar with the climate change work. And so I'm thinking like, gosh, um, yeah, just just hearing if, um, if extension professionals feel like they don't have support um, because of the political climate and how vaccination education itself has for COVID-19 has become a political issue. Just thinking like, um, I, I just forget that because we're a very different state. Um, and even in our counties, I do hear in some different counties, it, it's very different. So I was kind of living it like in this bubble of like, <laughs> just, just thinking like, oh, other people are doing the work. It's not an issue. I'll just carry on. And so it was really enlightening and really important to hear that. And I was really glad people were willing to speak up and say this, this is an issue if we, you know, if our funders don't agree or, you know, higher ups are getting too much pushback at their meetings. So I'm going to be really interested to see uh, what we can do with that. And I think that's where um, Paul's expertise is going to be really helpful because he's really um, has a lot of experience in academia, but then also industry for for developing and testing messages. And, um, you know, I think us trying to figure out what is our message to our stakeholders um, about we want to have these conversations so people can make the best decisions for themselves or I don't know I'm really you know that's a another thing I'm curious about so I'm surprised um and or just reminded that the political issues are real for my colleagues um even if they want to do the work or personally are getting the COVID-19 vaccination can't tell people um so we kind of have this code of silence so what do we do about that um, and then how do we, yeah, how do, how do we message or kind of package this toolkit that we're developing so it addresses that? I mean, it really is a strategic communications problem, and I'm sure there's a solution, and I'm excited to see what that might be because, I, I like I said, I think it can be applied in a lot of different situations. One of the things I'm curious about you know, again, coming from outside of extension, I'm really curious about how my lens um, as being someone who's looking in from outside uh, can be really helpful. So, uh, you, you know, Zena was talking about how being from a state that's a little bit different from, or maybe a lot different from a lot of other states is, is maybe not helpful but maybe in a way it is it is helpful you know so how how are our uniquenesses um helpful in in uh, showing you know identifying what is happening in other places sometimes when we're in the middle of what's going on we don't necessarily notice 
what's going on so that we can make change. And so by looking in on things from outside, sometimes we're able to see. There's this book that I really love. It's called Flatland. And in this book called Flatland, there's this square who lives in a two-dimensional space. And in that two-dimensional space, all anybody can see are lines. They can't actually see that there's squares and triangles and circles. Um, and there's this um, this cube that comes to visit. And, you know, there's like a, a three. This guy, this this the square has this out-of-body experience where he goes into this three-dimensional space and all of a sudden he can see three dimensions and experiences oh my goodness I can see a cube and he can now he can look down on flatland and he can see that there's squares and triangles and circles like he's never seen this this before and so you know when you're seeing things as an outsider you can identify things about the situation that you've never noticed before and sometimes that can help you solve problems so i'm hoping that maybe that can help me to be helpful so we'll see i think one of the challenges is going to be helping create a paradigm shift from the knowledge attitude and behavior model that is so entrenched in our um behavior or our theories of change. So I just looked up, you know, logic models for extension. And um, yeah, we know that knowledge alone is, is a poor agent for influencing behavior change. But yet, in almost all of our programs or reporting, we still see, oh, because it's easy to measure, right? You can easily measure a change in knowledge. I mean, some some of the things we're kind of dealing with as a challenge for our team is like, what measures do we use? Because if you, you can measure knowledge a little bit easier and some of these other, other things are, you know, they're latent constructs, they're a little bit more challenging. But, you know, that idea of, well, if, if we just improve somebody's knowledge, their attitude will change, and then we'll, that will lead to behavior change. And so I think it's going to be challenging. I've done a couple of these workshops on um, using motivational interviewing for vaccination hesitancy. And it's, I think, especially for folks who maybe work in a very um, knowledge-based subject matter area and extension. So thinking like, you know, agriculture, um, where people more are coming to extension for information, you know, I guess working in a health field quite often, you know, I'm out promoting, I'm, it is a, you know, I've got to, I've got to draw people in. We're really measured on if people are using things and changing their behaviors. Um, so I, I think it's going to be challenging. It's very entrenched in the system. And um, although, um, you know, we're always looking for things that are effective and we're evidence-based, right? So there's lots of evidence behind it. And then I think also too, we'll just, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be challenging, but I, I think it'll be exciting too, because it really opens the doors some, for some um, 
exciting possibilities on how you can make a difference in people's lives, which I know that's the heart of an extension professional, that we all pride ourselves and we really make a difference in people's lives. And so, you know, if you if you have some of these tools to help people make the best decision for themselves, um, I think I think that can be motivating too. So that's really the key. Yeah. What we what we want to do in this project is to provide useful tools that people can provide in ways that are useful for themselves to make the best decisions for themselves. We don't want to provide something that we're going to force on them, you know, and uh, and it's one thing to provide um, to provide something to someone and it's another thing to, uh, it's one thing to provide something that's useful. It's another issue how to provide it so that they will believe that it's useful, right? And so that they will want to use it. And Zena's um, skills with motivational interviewing, I think, are going to be really key to this project because it isn't just about here you go, you know, here's a tool you should know that it's good for you. It's about, um, we, we really want to provide something that uh, if you would like to use it, we would like to have this for you. And uh, this is, we want to make sure that it's going to be as effective if possible for you to make use of it. So it's a really, it's, it's kind of a tightrope walk to, uh, you know, to make this work, which is why we have to have Paul involved, which is why we have to have Zena involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just to follow up on that, Erica, so the developers of motivational interviewing, they, they talk about, um, you know, health educator burnout, how hard it is. You feel like you're just beating your head against the wall when you're trying to convince someone. But when you back up and you're just there as a guide, here's information, but the way you provide it, like Erica said, is important. It's called lifting the burden. So, you know, you have powerful conversations that lift the burden for you and then also for the person you're talking with, because they don't feel like you're trying to convince them. Um, so it's, it's yeah, and it is about choice. It's about autonomy and really respecting people's, people's choice. Um, and yeah, so it's wrapping a lot of those things together. Choice, conversation, information. Um, we want to build people's skills and also their confidence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I mean, like I shared part of my not willingness to not do the work was I wasn't confident and I needed to be confident. You know, I knew about Erica's misinformation stuff. I'm like, I can't walk out and tell people. But then also, too, I think that messaging around, um, you know, for the political aspect of we're here as, as, as extension outreach to help people make the best decisions. We're not, you know, I'd be interested to know what is the what's the pushback from our extension stakeholders? That's a group we didn't even talk about talking to. And it, we may want to consider talking to, to some people who've really had issues with that of like, okay, well, what are, what is their concern 
Um, and how can we reframe what we're doing for extension so it's more acceptable with the messaging for our stakeholders? Yeah. And how can people learn more about your project? Sure. Yeah. So I think definitely the Excite Excite channel on Extension Foundation is going to be really important, especially in the front end. So um, we'll make sure that things are posted there. And then the Excite newsletter, so you can get information about, I mean, our first big push is going to be communication about that survey. And so people can be looking for that. Um, and then, yeah, the Extension Foundation. And then um, Erica does you put things on your website for the WSU um, Merle Health Promotions. I'm going to get that all messed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a mouthful. I couldn't get it out. Um, yeah. yeah. If you go to the um, if you go to the Washington State University Edward R. Murrow um, Center, uh, the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication. We have the Murrow Center for Media and Health Promotion Research Center there, and you should be able to find us by, by going to the college. But I think you'll probably have, it's a mouthful, it's probably easier to find us on Excite. Yeah, and then we can always make sure that we're putting links on there to other things. But that Excite, that's a really, I really encourage people to, um, if they haven't visited, it's a really robust site with a lot of really good resources. Um, so I think we can definitely, definitely add to that as we go along and be sharing communications and such. So. Follow the Washington State Teams Project on the Excite website excite.extension.org for all their updates and published research. Thank you to Erica and Zena for sharing. Thank you for having us. It's yeah, really it's nice been fun. Today. Yeah. Well, no, I think I'll just wrap up with saying we, we the title of our project is Getting to the Heart of the Matter. And um, kind of conveys a few things of like, okay, yeah, emotions are important in people's decisions. Um, it's kind of a wordplay on what Paul does because part of one of the readings he gets is from the heart. Um, but also too, we really, we want to get to the heart of the matter. What's going on with people and then being able to really address those needs and um, make an impact and help, yeah, help, help extension professionals feel confident um, and more willing if that's something they would like to do. So.